listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland, Maine. Show summaries are available at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. Kids get through divorce. Kids get through very, very well. It's how their parents handle it that makes the big difference. That's that's really the, the deal breaker. And, and if you're a friend of the couple who are divorcing, don't take sides and, and don't abandon them. But you should let them know that I hope I can, we can remain friends with both of you and yes. be there for you through this process. You know your family better than anybody. You know what your children like. You know where the money goes. You know how you like to spend money. Do you want to decide or do you want to judge who is busy, who's going to hear the case for four hours? Make a decision. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Seabags, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Marcy Booth of Booth Financial Services, UNE, the University of New England, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Apothecary by Design, and The Body Architect. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 60, Family Transitions, airing for the first time on November 4th, 2012, on WLOB and WPEI Radio, Portland, Maine. Divorce is a difficult event for all involved. It could be an especially challenging transition for children and parents. Today's conversation with attorney Catherine Miller, former judge and mediation specialist Dana Cleves, and Peg Libby, executive director of Kids First, will help us learn ways of strengthening newly restructured family bonds. I have my own very personal um, experience with family transitions that occur due to divorce. For readers of my blog and patients and people in my community, this news doesn't come as a surprise. Um, my children have a wonderful father who is very devoted to them, and we were able to remain married for almost 19 years. But not too long into the marriage, we began to suspect that things weren't as they needed to be for us to remain as a couple. We tried very hard. And when I finally um, experienced job loss and lots of other things that many people who are listening I know understand, financial difficulties related to the economy, inability to sell a house, things got really, really tough in our family. At the same time, we understood how important it was for our three children that we maintained um, family strength. So this show is deeply personal to me. I understand how challenging it can be to go through a divorce, both as, a, as an individual and as a mother. I also have counseled many patients and their families through the divorce process and through family restructuring. I know that the statistics show that at least 50% of all relationships end in divorce. And unfortunately, I think that this is an all too common occurrence that people aren't really willing to talk about. And I also think it's something that society contributes significantly to. It's, it's something that 
there are things that we're doing within our um, bigger world that are causing marriages really to be to come under pressure and feel significant strain. I'm honestly not sure that our culture and our society is very marriage friendly or very relationship, long-term relationship friendly in general. But that's not what this show is about. That show is about people who have gotten to a place where they know that they need to restructure their families for whatever reasons. And I hope that by listening to Catherine Miller, Dana Cleaves, and Peg Libby, you'll gain some insight into ways that you can um, foster resilient children and help your family move forward in a stronger way. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is pleased to be sponsored by the University of New England. As part of our sponsorship collaboration, we offer a segment we call Wellness Innovations. This wellness innovation comes from the Dartmouth Undergraduate Journal of Science. On average, children in married families fare better than children from divorced families. Nevertheless, the vast majority of children possess great resilience and the ability to cope with or even benefit from their new life situation. Internal factors such as the child's psychological and physical characteristics and external factors such as the immediate and extended family and the community environment influence a child's resilience and ability to cope with parental divorce. Good parenting and extrafamilial protective factors such as peer relationships, schools, and support from non-parental adults, including mentors and neighbors, also contribute to children's resilience and effective coping. For more information on this wellness innovation, visit doctorlisa.org. For information on the University of New England, visit une.edu. This portion of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast has been brought to you by the University of New England, UNE, an innovative health sciences university grounded in the liberal arts. UNE is the number one educator of health professionals in Maine. Learn more about the University of New England at une.edu. Earlier this fall, Catherine Miller contacted me and said, you know, I think you might want to have a show about this very important topic. And it's something that I deal with on a regular basis. And um, I think it's something your listeners should learn more about. So I agreed and I talked with her and I said, what is it that you think people should know about families in transition or you know, people who are divorcing or separating? What is it that's important? Because I know that this impacts families in a much bigger way than a lot of people often anticipate when they go into the process. So joining me today, I have Catherine Miller, who is a local attorney specializing in family law. I also have Dana Cleves, who is a former family court judge. That's correct. And Peg Libby, who is the executive director from Kids First. Hi there. And Catherine, just tell me the name of your law firm for those who are interested in learning more about you. I'm Miller Family Law and Mediation. Why is it that each of you chose to be involved in a field that can probably be somewhat challenging at times? I mean, when you're going into a situation with families that are going through this significant transition, divorce, separation, um, emotions are high. Do, do you want to start with that? Sure. I think uh, the three of us probably came from it to it from different directions, but all with the same concern, which are primarily, I think, is that when families go through the transition of divorce, it's really the kids that are vulnerable or most vulnerable. Uh, we can pretty much be certain that the divorcing parents are going to be okay a few months after the stressful divorce process, but whether the kids are okay or not depends 
almost entirely upon how the parents do it, how successfully they, you know, kind of navigate that transition. And uh, from, my, from my own point of view, I was seeing as a trial court judge, sort of specializing in family law, that way too many parents were not doing that successfully. And that the adversarial process that the court provides was um, not helpful, to say the least, in that transition. So I left the court to do a private practice in that. Uh, and Catherine and Peg, uh, I think, come from the, from the same motivation. I would agree with that. And I was a litigator in a general defense firm in town um, and enjoyed the litigation, enjoyed the court, and found myself navigating to family cases and realizing that was completely inconsistent with how a family should handle their divorce. And so over the years, and in the last 15 years, I've developed a practice where I'm providing folks with an alternative approach to going to court. Ultimately, they may wind up in court to finalize their divorce, but at that point it's a final agreed upon divorce and they've done all the hard work outside. And instead of being in a courtroom, they might find themselves in, a, in an office like Dana Cleve's office mediating. So I, I'm now, I'm doing some mediation, but I'm still lawyering and we're trying to provide these folks with a forum to resolve disputes in an amicable fashion. And it, people think divorce is just inconsistent with an amicable process. But I think if you guide the folks, put them in the direction of kids first, put them into a mediator's um, hands, they can go through this process with respect, with dignity, and realize that they've preserved their family. They've changed it. But I think it, it takes some, some negotiations and some direction, but I think leading by example and really showing them they can do it. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I, that's what Kids First is all about. Um, people usually can get through divorce. Um, kids get through divorce actually quite well as long as there's not continued conflict. It's not divorce that really hurts kids, it's continued conflict. And so every program at the Kids First Center is taught through the kids' perspective. What does this feel like? And I've found that even really good parents don't always understand what behaviors make it difficult for kids. Uh, divorce is so prevalent in our society, I think people don't think it's a big deal. Divorce is a big deal to kids. It's a big deal. Uh, but how their parents handle it makes all the difference in how well they get through it. Well, Peg, give me a little bit of background on Kids First and how it came to be. Well, it's, it's pretty neat, actually. Um, back in the late 1980s, there were a group of family law attorneys and a group of mental health professionals, and they were each working with divorcing families, but they felt that they were giving different advice, and they were um, called Resources for Divorced Families. And they decided that they would try to develop a co-parenting education program for divorcing parents that taught people how to go through the transition and set up what we call a co-parenting relationship. And they uh, brought in a um, teacher from Cobb County, Georgia, and she did a lot of work with divorcing parents, and it's a psychoeducational program that they put together. And then, so the Kids First program was born in about 1988. They chose to have it always presented by one man, one woman, one family law attorney, one mental health professional, and not make it counseling and not make it therapy, just make it a, what we call psychoeducational. And then in the late 1990s, they thought, wow, it'd be really great if we could have all these services under one roof and open up a center. And they teamed up with the Junior League of Portland, and in 1998, the Kids First Center opened. 
and that's when we hired Peg, and <laughs> since then it's been really successful. Thank it's really interesting how that came about because Peg's right back in the early 80s when I had first started specializing in divorce as a, as a trial judge. It was obvious that the legal professions and the mental health professions weren't even talking to each other about the impact of divorce on kids. In fact, they were both sort of suspicious that the other profession was largely the problem. And it was really, a, I think it was Kathleen Sullivan who really suggested we get uh, the professions together and start having these annual educational seminars. And then we simply, from there, didn't know how to fundraise. And so the <laughs> League of Women Voter came along, came along and said, look, we can help you. We'll give you some financial help and we'll give you some training. And in three years' time, we hired Peg, and, and the center has just since then become a tremendous resource for divorcing parents and their kids. It was a great opportunity for me. I had worked um, for another nonprofit for 18 years and had some ideas that I wanted to try out. And when I decided to throw my hat in the ring as, uh, to apply for the Kids First Center job, um, it enabled me to do lots of things that I had wanted to do before. Uh, my background isn't mental health or law, actually. Uh, my background is fundraising, marketing, and public relations, and uh, resources for divorced families in the Junior League of Portland thought that that would make a good uh, executive director, and I'm glad that they had faith in me to do that. And it has. It's been great. And we help at the center. I'm on the board at Kids First, so I can say we, but I think we help 3,500 people a year. Yes, over 3,500 people a year for direct services. You know, that's that's not just on the phone. That's direct services. I'm very proud of that. For a very small budget, we're a lean, mean machine. And I think as a practitioner, what I enjoy most about the center is I have something that I can send clients to. When clients want to do something, they want to learn more, they have something to go to. They have the Kids First program to learn about the first four hours of the divorce. They have a step parenting program. They've got the next step when their conflict and the anger really is just is impalatable. And then last, they have the they also have, well, there's more, but then the high conflict, the nine-week program, the ICOPE, um, is an intensive co-parenting education program people come out with skills that really carry with them as they try to co-parent. I, I think that's one uh, thing that the center does very well is it gives people practical tools to use. Um, it's, it's not therapy, as I said, it's not counseling, but it gives them a toolbox to use. It gives them the language, it teaches them how to set up a respectful style of communication with their former uh, spouse or partner. Um, I just think that's what's helped make it so successful. We also do divorce support groups for, for children. Um, we work with kids grades one th all the way up through high school. Catherine, what are some of the things that you're noting as issues for um, people who are coming to you early on in the divorce process? What are some of the biggest things that come up for the individual or the family? Well, I think right now, is we've been talking a lot about the kids, finances are, are a clear issue. I don't think the economy has been kind to families, and that is a stressor that impacts marriages. So I find that in the last couple of years, people are living together longer, clearly after the marriage has broken down. Down. So by the time they get to to an office, to me, to a mediator, to anybody, they've at, they're at their wit's end. So I think a little bit problem solving, figuring out what, how are we going to save the home? How are we going to deal with the debts? What tools can we do? My approach is looking at the problem, 
um, trying to maximize the pie as large as you can, and be creative in the way we solve those financial problems. It's easy to say, let a house go into foreclosure, but that's not going to be a long-term solution. So I think the creativity needs to come into play. I think that co-parenting is something that you teach. I don't think it comes natural. It's ironic that during the marriage, people may have trouble and difference in parenting styles, and now they come to me in the divorce, and I say, unfortunately, you're going to have to become a better co-parent than you were. The communication skills you didn't have during the marriage now need to be strengthened. And people look and say, how am I going to do this? And I think that, again, putting, your, putting people in the right hands, teaching them that they can do it, and come to a win-win solution, it, it breaks down to be possible. And so. teaching them that they can do it because it's best for their children. I think that's how we get to parents is by saying, you know, this isn't a, nobody's going to win here, nobody's going to lose. To, to set up this relationship, this new co-parenting relationship and style of communication is good for your kids. Dana, what were some of the things that you saw when you were presiding as a judge, um, what were some of the things that caused people to be most adversarial within the courtroom setting? Well, first of all, you know, just the process of divorce is stressful all by itself. It means the breakdown of a, of a relationship that they had great expectations for. So no matter what the cause is or what the circumstances are, it's a big loss, a, a really hurtful loss. So people are in emotional stress. Uh, and so it's hard for them to, in that same process, to come back together and communicate appropriately and resolve all the issues that divorce presents because, as Catherine points out, there are financial issues, there are property issues, there are parenting issues, there are ongoing support issues in the future. Very complicated and difficult issues. And when you're angry and conflicted and going through a stressful process, it's very difficult to do that. The problem with the court process, although we need it as a safety net, it's a sign of a final place to get a decision made if it can't be done any other way, is that it is essentially adversarially based, meaning you bring all your information and ammunition into the courtroom and try to persuade a decision maker that you should win and the other side should lose. And that's just a very destructive way to resolve issues for folks that have to come back together after that process and provide co-parenting. I mean, my private, my, in my private practice, I try to help the folks focus on the fact that even though a divorce is happening, if they have children, they are always going to be a family. And they should even use that terminology and help the courts, kids understand that once they're through that process, they're going to be very supportive of each other as their parent and be able to communicate and cooperate in their care. And if they can do that, the kids will be fine because they won't have lost anything other than their parents being in the same house. And that's a loss that they can manage. And Catherine's absolutely right. One of the big ironies in this whole process is that in almost every divorce, uh, inability to communicate appropriately is at least a significant part of the breakdown. And yet what they're hearing from me is, well, now you've got to communicate better and taking care of your kids after divorce. So it, it really is ironic. But it can, it can happen if, if the process itself doesn't destroy it. A chronic ache, sleepless nights, a feeling of something being not quite right. You can treat the symptoms with traditional medications and feel better for a little while and continue on with your busy days. But have you ever stopped to consider the what that's at the core of a health issue? Most times it goes much deeper than you think, and when you don't treat the root cause, the aches, 
sleeplessness, and that not-quite-right feeling come back. But they don't have to. You can take a step towards a healthier, more centered life. Schedule an appointment with Dr. Lisa Belial and discover how a practice that combines traditional medicine with Eastern healing practices can put you on the right path to better living. For more information, please call The Body Architect in Portland at 207-774-2196 or visit doctorlisa.org today. Healthy living is a journey. Take the first step. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. There was a time when we were completely dependent on money that was given to us by others. Over time, we learned that we need to grow and develop new skills to make money serve our life and purpose. The interesting thing is that we are still dependent on money that is given to us by others. Our independence does not come from being free of money, but in showing up every day and doing our job at creating value in the world around us. If you're interested in teaching young people what you know about money, send us an email to currencycampmaine at gmail.com. Join our community of teachers giving back. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled. You need attention, advice, and individualized care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. The other thing we tell parents is that they're parents forever, hopefully, um, and that even though their children may turn 18 years old, they're still parents. And you want to be the one that's invited to the hospital when the new grandchild is born, and you want to be part of the wedding. And, you know, I hear horror stories from uh, adult children whose parents won't even stand in the same um room to have their pictures taken during a wedding. I mean, it's just just ridiculous. And if you really think about putting children first, that wouldn't even be uh, part of the discussion around wedding planning as to who's going to stand next to who in the, in the picture. I think you can often put things in perspective when you, when you have a difficult situation, and whether it's the finance they can't decide on or the children. And I look at the folks and I look at my client, if I'm mediating, look at the two of them and say, you, if you clearly cannot agree, we have a perfectly competent, experienced judge who can make a decision. But who do you think is a better decision maker right now? The both of you, or you as an individual client, you know your family better than anybody. You know what your children like. You know where the money goes. You know how you like to spend money. Do you want to decide or do you want a judge who is busy, who's going to hear the case for four hours, make a decision? 
And ultimately, it may not be plan A and it may not be plan B. And sometimes that, that option C is what they, they choose. But they're still better decision makers than a judge. Not because a judge isn't qualified. and It just, they don't know all the facts. And I think a former judge sitting here would agree with that. It's, um, but they're there when we need them, as you said. They're the safety net. Well, can for those who are listening who aren't familiar with the process of mediation, can you give us a little bit of background on what mediation is, what are the benefits, what, what it actually does for the families? Sure. I mean, mediation is essentially an alternative way to try to resolve all the issues that a divorce presents. And by alternative, I mean alternative to the a sort of well-known process where you go in and have a judge decide those issues for you. Uh, so a, a mediator has certain skills in terms of facilitating the client's uh, uh, discussions around an issue, make sure that they are really articulating their own concerns about the issues in a way that's clear so that the other person can take it in. And then when that's happened and the issues are on the table, then it's the mediator's job to facilitate their discussions around the issues and help them come to... Uh, agreements that come as close as possible to being totally satisfactory to both of them. And there are different styles within mediators in, in the mediation process. My own is a little more directive because my background is as a decision maker in that area as opposed to having formal training in mediators. I mean, I've trained mediators, but I've never had any formal training myself. Uh, but what I do to try to increase the success rate in the mediation is to help them using my judicial experience to help them understand how the court looks at that issue and what the considerations are and what the law says and maybe even what a likely result would be if I were their judge rather than their mediator. Having that information helps couples who are even very far apart on an issue to come to an agreement on it because they understand the context of their failure to come to agreement. It just increases the success rate somewhat. But the whole purpose of mediation is to help folks get through the process, end up feeling as though they did it as well as they could, that they treated each other fairly and they were treated fairly, and because that puts them in the best possible position to have a good co-parenting relationship after the divorce, as opposed to having a contentious process and having somebody else impose a decision upon them that neither of them may like and have the conflict continue, which you know, interrupts the communication and cooperation around their kids. Doesn't this um, necessitate that both parties are actually willing to come to the table? Yeah, it does. Um, and surprisingly, I, you know, um, I get a lot of referrals from mental health professionals who've been working with couples, and they can kind of explain the difference between that and the adversarial process. A lot of folks have had family members and friends who've gone through the contested process and understand how destructive it is. So I think uh, couples are seeking out alternatives much more on their own than they were 10 years ago. I think it's become well enough known so that there is, uh, that there is an alternative out there. And people call Catherine or call me to get that kind of help as opposed to automatically hiring a paid advocate that can then make the process contentious. There's a lot of also advantages, and studies show that long-term people follow mediated agreements that they reach. Settlement agreements and mediated agreements have a lot a longer life. People, when you have a judge's decision, often then in a few years look to change it because they were never satisfied from the beginning. The second thing that I think the advantage of mediation is they save money. You can save a lot of money because you're not hiring necessarily two lawyers from the very beginning of the case to the very end. That's an expensive litigation process. 
The advantage with mediation is people can still use lawyers. Lawyers are not cut out of the process. To the extent someone feels they need representation, Dana, you will happily have lawyers attend. I mean, it's not necessary in every step. And as a lawyer, I am often counseling folks who are in mediation. And I'll prepare them for the mediation, I'll tell them the law, I'll tell them what their rights are, and give them uh, parameters in which they have a right to make a decision. They know what's fair, and and often this decision falls within that, that parameter, but it's, it's how they want it. And that's, again, the key control. Having control to make your own decisions is really important. One of the things that I hear over and over again from my patients or from friends who are going through difficult times is they're not even sure how to begin the process, just from a practical standpoint. So I know that it's tempting to just pick up a phone, call your friend and say, well, who do you know who's a lawyer? How do people find lawyers in the community who know how to do mediation, who sort of tend towards that? Um, tend towards that direction? How, how do you start gathering I resources? A, I think it's very similar to finding the right kind of medical professional. You know, you don't just pick somebody out of the yellow pages. You do ask friends and other people you know in that community for references. You can call the Kids First Center, for example. There's a good independent source of uh, references. Um, probably most of my clients nowadays come from former clients. So that is a reliable source. Your mental health professional, if you've been working with a counselor, you can do that. Um, you know, I think it takes, uh, it's worth the effort to do a little digging around as opposed to making a quick decision, just like it is in any other important process that you're going to be involved in. I think lawyers have a lot of control over the process, and I think that people need to interview lawyers. They don't have to interview a lot, but if they walk into a lawyer's office and that lawyer has uh, you know, their claws out or just a, an approach that that client's not willing to take, they need to get a second opinion. Sure. I tell my clients, the first initial consult, don't make any decisions today. Go home. You've heard how I approach things. This is my style. This is a really important decision for you. And just like a healthcare provider, you need to be matched up with somebody who shares your philosophy, um, that has a, a balance of compassion and of diligence and respect. And I think that the clients can often get in the wrong hands. I really agree with that. When, when parents call and ask for references from kids first, we remind them that they are the boss. They're the ones that are hiring this professional. And um, if they want to disagree, then they need to speak up and say, no, I don't, I don't want to do it this way. Um, I don't want to go down that road. I think it's really important. We have clients that call and say, well, the dad and I think that this should happen. And we say, well, that's fine, then tell, tell your attorney. We can tell our attorneys that? So yes, actually you two can make the decisions. Anything that you agree to is great. And they're sort of surprised. They think once they start the process, it's all in the lawyer's hands and that they uh, just sit back and, and, uh, and ride along. And that's just not true. They're the boss. Peg, one of the questions that I asked you the other day when you and I were talking on the phone was, what are the long-term implications of, or ramifications of divorce on children? I mean, this is clearly something that the parents have initiated. The kids don't necessarily want their families to be fractured. I mean, very few children are actually fans of divorce. What do we know happens with kids who have gone through the divorce process? Well, research shows that um, a very adversarial divorce, a divorce with high conflict, 
kids are at greater risk for substance abuse, for risky behavior, for truancy, for homelessness. Um, part of the reason, Dr. Lisa, is that there aren't two parents that are really watching out, especially during the high school years. Uh, I'm going over to dad's house. Great. You know, mom doesn't speak to dad, hasn't spoken to him for five years. And she's not at dad's house. You know, she's at somebody else's house. Um, they don't continue to be um, real uh, active parents uh, because they're not communicating with the other parent. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. I think that's one thing that I really want your listeners to, to take from this. Kids get through divorce. Um, kids get through very, very well. It's how their parents handle it that makes the big difference. Um, it, that's, that's really the, the deal breaker. And Jamie, children also emulate the behavior of their parents. The parents are role models. Children are a little bit Absolutely. of both parents. So if they see a situation where the parents aren't treating each other with respect, they're going to learn that's how you handle relationships. And so I think having that co-parenting relationship as a role model really is guiding them as to how they're going to handle future relationships. Yes, and that's one real uh, challenge for kids that have been in highly conflictual divorce situations is they're really afraid to take a chance on love. And we hear that over and over again. Um, we interviewed some high school students a few years back, and. Uh, and they really talk about the, their fear of marriage, um, their fear that, that it's not going to work out. Um, and that's kind of sad, you know. Um, but And that all arises from the fact that if the parents are in conflict, then the kids can't be close to one parent without feeling disloyal to the other. And think about what that means emotionally for a child, not to be able to be close to a parent without feeling disloyal to the other. And that's what gives rise to this a concern, a fear of making commitments on their own when they're older. Loyalty it's issues are huge, huge for kids. We'll have parents call and say, well, she doesn't want to go to mom's house. Should I make her go? She doesn't, she doesn't really want to go to mom's house. Oftentimes, kids will try to protect the parent that they think is, is more sad, is weaker, um, and they'll stay to protect. It isn't that they don't want to go to the other parent's house. They're afraid that that parent's going to be lonely, they're going to be sad. One thing we really stress at kids first is to support the relationship with the other parent. They, you know, they can do that, and sometimes they don't even realize that they're trying to undermine that relationship. But, you know, complimenting their dad or their mother in front of them, your mother was always a terrific skier, you know, just small things like that really say to the child, you know, I respect your mother, I respect your father. And it's okay for you to be close with her. Yes. We'll return to our program after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. The Body Architect was founded on the belief that mindful exercise improves the health of the mind, body, and spirit. Housed in an open, light-filled space in Portland, Maine, The Body Architect offers a cutting-edge fitness center, expert personal trainers, nutrition counseling, and a full class schedule. Visit thebodyarchitect.com or call 207-774-774. 2196 and get started with the body architect today. And by Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine. At Orthopedic Specialists, ultrasound technology is taken to the highest degree. With state-of-the-art ultrasound equipment, small areas of tendonitis, muscle tears, ligaments, 
instability, and arthritic conditions can be easily found during examination. For more information, visit orthocareme.com or call 207-781-9077. I think one of the questions I commonly have in my office is, what is the age that children are legally allowed to decide where they want to live? And I say to them, it's not the question of when they get to decide, it's a question of what do we do, need to do to fix the problem? Why is it they don't want to go there, if that's really the, what's the case? And what it is, do, what do we have to do? How do we improve things? And I think that there's a switch, and I, just in 15 years that I've been doing this, I think that people are approaching it with saying, okay, we're going to start with 50-50. I think that the primary residence, one child living with one parent, is, isn't as common as it was 15 years, or and Judge Cleves can even say longer. So I think that helps. The presumption's there that kids benefit from two homes. Right. That's there. So when somebody says, well, you know, that's not the case in our family, uh, practitioners and providers really need to find out why. Get them to kids first. Educate them. Learn what the problem is, because often it can be fixed. And when it is, it's to the, for the benefit of the family. The parents win as well as the children. And on the other hand, a parenting arrangement that was great for a six-year-old mm -hmm. probably isn't great for a 15-year-old. Um, and it may not be 50-50, and that may be what's best at that time. Uh, you know, a kid in high school was going to want to spend Saturday night with their friends, and if the other parent lives in Vermont um, and there's a big dance, then somebody's got to say, hey, I understand you want to go to this dance. That's great. Have a great time. Call me tomorrow. Let me know how it went. Um, so even though 50-50 sounds like the absolute best, parents should stay open to the idea that at some point they may have to give up a little time um, just because they're putting their kids first. Yeah, and there is an odd number of days in the week, so it's it's yeah. not always 50-50, but what we use in the, in the practice is substantially equal parenting. How are they involved? Who's going to the games? How, it's not just where kids sleep, it's how are the parents parenting? I have a question about gender roles. I, I know that this is something that used to be the case, that it would be the mother who was given primary um, custody and then the father would give visitation. Now we have more of a co-parenting situation. But I, but I have male friends who have suggested to me that they still feel as if there's sort of a female bias to the legal system. What would you say to that? Yeah, I mean, I, there certainly was when I first began in 1980, 79 and 80, when I first started hearing divorce matters. It was sort of culturally inbred, uh, largely because uh, traditionally mothers were home more and, and dads were the breadwinners. And that whole thing has changed over the last 20 years. So, you know, I, I don't, in my practice, I don't see it anymore. Uh, and I, I see, I do have couples come in that have that sort of preconception. Um, but with a little time and effort, they can see why there's no real solid foundation for that conception. It's not necessarily in their kid's best interest to have a preference based on gender that way. Uh, so I, I don't see it as a hindrance anymore. I've been gone from the court long enough now that I can't say if there's a remaining bias amongst the judiciary. I'm just not sure about that. Uh, but I certainly don't see it in my practice. I think also practically, it, this may be an indirect result, but I think the divorce changes the family. And often somebody who was the breadwinner, you, you can't, can't capture the gap that 
that financially is, exist. And I think you're taking one set of household and an expense and dividing it in two households. There generally is a change in work. And so if somebody may have stayed home, and presuming in your role it was the mom, likely she may be returning to the workforce. And so that change in a stay-home mom often does change, not just because of the divorce, but because the children are getting older and times require her to have health insurance too. Um, there's, a, there's a difference now. I think financially that, that has fed into eroding any bias that really ever may have existed. And there really is a fast-paced change. I mean, it's only in the last 20 years. I mean, the, the child support guidelines, which, were, which we created in 1989, was sort of structured on the fact that there would be a primary residential caregiver who was almost certainly to be the lower earner, meaning mom. I mean, the whole guidelines were structured that way. Uh, and that's just not, they don't fit anymore in terms of uh, the majority of, of cases. So what I do with my, my clients is to have create budgets for both of them going forward to see what their monetary needs are and after tax dollars to meet their budget. And then we'll take a look at the guidelines to see if they happen to coincide. But if they don't, we sort of move on from the guidelines and do something that is practically workable. When you and I were talking on the phone, um, I keep wanting to call you Judge Cleaves. Dana's fine. Dana, okay. Um, you and I were talking about the fact that a lot of judges didn't really want to even see divorce cases, that this was something that it, they, people sort of, I don't know, they kind of gravitated towards you because you had a personal experience that and a professional experience, professional interest. Well, what I, what I think I said, Lisa, was when I expressed an interest in hearing divorce matters, they kind of came flooding to me because a lot of other judges realized that they didn't have the time or the training or the resources to really try to improve that process, and they were glad somebody was trying to do that. It's also true, I'm sure, amongst judges. Some judges don't like the emotional stress and messiness of divorces. But the primary problem uh, that we were faced with then was an underfunding of the court system and no real ability to make good changes in the process. And so they were glad somebody was trying to make that happen. And that's why I think I was able to make it a specialty for the last 13 years that I was there. One of the things I've noticed within my medical practice and even within the community at large is that Divorce is sort of still this very hard thing for people to talk about. It's still almost a secret. In fact, it, I've, I'm often surprised by the people who will tell me after the fact, oh, yes, we got a divorce a year ago. And I'll be thinking, how, how did I miss that? <laughs> why, why is divorce still such a secret in a day and age where so many people are engaging in this? And what are the problems associated with keeping this so secretive? Well, <laughs> You're absolutely right. There's still a lot of shame that surrounds divorce, and it's, it's so unfortunate because, unfortunately, half the marriages in this country do end in divorce, and the the keeping it a secret is really not great for kids because uh, if their schools don't know it, if the school teacher, if the teachers don't know it, if the neighbors don't know it, um, it's it makes it very difficult for the child, and the child feels like, wow, this must be a really shameful thing because we're not sharing this as a family with anybody else. Um, we try to help the schools understand, try to tell the parents to involve the schools, involve the daycare providers, let your kids' friends. Uh, parents know. Um, and I think, you know, it's interesting. I think that also makes fundraising harder, too, because after a divorce, people would just like to forget about the whole thing. Thank you very much. And um, 
Kids First is supported by the by the generosity of the community. Um, we do charge course fees, but they're very minimal. And of a $380,000 budget, only 80000 is covered by course fees. So we raise $300,000 a year. And um, people really love the center. They love what we do. And it would be great if after things calm down and things settle down, they remember us as well when the annual appeal comes around. I think to that answer, too, and to other point that Peg just made, it shouldn't be a secret because people need help. When I see a client, I know when they're not emotionally dealing with this, I put them in hands. Have you talked to a counselor? Have your children talked to a counselor? Have you talked to your primary care physician? Do you need help getting through this? Do you Have you talked with your accountant? There are so many different professionals that can make the divorcing process or separation process smoother and just possible that keeping it a secret they're bearing that all and you, as practitioners you think that well they must be handling that aspect or this there must their health must be but it must their health must be fine in reality it's a holistic approach it, this and that's what are the, the exciting part about talking here to the listeners get help see who you need talk to others open it up Chances are the people you're talking to have also been impacted directly or indirectly from divorce. What suggestions would you offer? We've been talking about parents and we've talking about the impact on children. What would, suggestions would you offer to people who would like to support a family in transition? I, I know that this is one of the reasons why often people don't talk about divorces because other people don't know what to say. So if you're a teacher, if you're a healthcare provider, if you're somebody who's never personally gone through divorce, what would be a helpful thing to hear? I'm sorry you're going through this. Please let me know if I can help. And, and if you're a friend of the couple who are divorcing, don't take sides and, and don't abandon them. Let the, you, know, you have to follow their clue, obviously, about what they want to do during the process. But you should let them know that I hope I can, we can remain friends with both of you and yeah. be there for you through this process. Yeah, that's, that's really important. Um, one of the things that happens is people start to form tribes and they start to get all oh, these, these people are on my side and these people are on my ex-partner's side and, and it's just, that's bad for kids. Uh, we, if you have to talk negatively about your former spouse or partner, do it right in the therapist's office. You could do it with your best friend, but don't try to make them come to your side. Uh, that really is really hard on kids. So try not to um, get auntie and grandma and everybody lined up against you, bad-mouthing the children. I mean, you know, if you go to Grammy's house and she's bad-mouthing the child's father, um, that makes the child feel terrible. Kids really do feel a part of, of each of their parents. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Using recycled sails collected from sailors and sailing communities around the world, Seabags designs and manufactures bags, totes, and accessories in Maine on Portland's working waterfront. From the best-selling classic Navy Anchor Tote to fresh new designs, Seabags offers retired sails another life by turning them into handmade, one-of-a-kind, nautical-inspired pieces. Visit the Seabags store in Portland or Freeport or go to www.cbags.com to browse their unique collection. And by Booth, accounting and business management services, payroll, and bookkeeping. Business is done better with Booth. 
Go to boothmain.com for more information. I think people also compare their divorce to other people's divorces. And whether it's they're taking legal advice or comparing and financial situations, doing this for as long as I have, there are no two divorces that are the same. Something is different. Incomes, debts, houses, children, something's different. So when a client hears, you need to fight for this, or that's wrong, He's, he should be responsible, you should get this, it's setting expectations that are almost unachievable. And that causes the person going through the divorce stress because they're gonna, they don't wanna go back and say, I couldn't get this, or this happened, I settled for less. Everybody's divorce is unique and you need to let them go through the process, support them, but not necessarily give them the advice because chances are that person doesn't have the full picture. Well, isn't there also something that goes on where there's almost a mirroring effect or maybe a contagious thing that goes on where you tell somebody, oh, I'm going through a divorce, and they reflect back to you their fears about their own marriage. Or you tell somebody, I'm going through a divorce, and they reflect back to you their grief over the loss of your marriage. Is that something that you see in your practices? (laughs) It's kind of like labor stories. (laughs) It's true. It's true. I think that everybody, it reopens wounds and it reopens uh, thoughts and it is a way to share experiences and sometimes when you hear, I'm going through a divorce, let me tell you about mine, it, it brings a common bond. But again, you just, yeah, you need to remember your individual situation and, and respect there's going to be differences. How do lawyers feel about this? How do lawyers feel about, I mean, Catherine, you're a lawyer, and Dana, you are also a lawyer. How do lawyers feel about getting in the middle of these highly charged emotional times which impact children, impact families? How must this feel? Well, it really has become a specialty. It's very hard for a general practitioner to include a divorce or two a year in his otherwise civil trial practice uh, for those very reasons. a lot of it is personality driven. So some folks can deal with the emotional stress of clients uh, calling them all day and night, and others can't. Uh, even on the bench, there were, there were judges who could deal with family law cases for a year and then asked to be out for a while to get a recess because of the stress. So some of that's pers- particular personality driven. Uh, not all attorneys, but I think most attorneys really hate their high-conflict divorce. Oh. It just takes a lot out of everyone. And when we designed our nine-week course for parents who have been in continued high-conflict, the attorneys are saying, yes, go, sign up. I want these people to be done with this. You know, it's, it's, it's not good for anybody. And, and very few attorneys uh, get any kind of a charge out of working with r- very highly conflicted parents. I think the the most conflicted feels like a lose-lose. They they don't feel like they're winning the battle, and they see it as a battle. I, I, we don't, but they do. It also is expensive to fight. It's expensive because they're calling their counselor. They're calling kids first. They're calling their lawyers, and then the lawyer calls the other lawyer because they can't talk. So I think clients then realize it's expensive, and they're caught in this trap. But largely, I, I think you're both right. I mean, you need to have a certain... Um, certain tenacity to work with families in so much turmoil. And my approach is 
you, they have to realize it's not the end of the world and things are going to get better, that things will come out, new opportunities exist. And they really need to realize that you can, again, approaching it amicably and respectfully will still be a better approach, a better feeling for them. And I think I'm constantly trying to educate them. And they won't do it all perfectly. They won't do it. We, we really try to stress that this is a tough time and this is going to be a rough patch. But I agree with Catherine. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. And we have a program for parents who have remarried, um, who are step-parents. And um, it's a much more uh, happier situation. But it's still, it's still tricky. very tricky. Um, and oftentimes a co-parenting relationship will be going along pretty smoothly and then one parent or the other will become involved with somebody and remarry. And there's a, there's a speed bump that the family needs some help uh, over. And we, help, we try to provide that help as well. Well, when you and I were talking on the phone before, Peg, you mentioned that this mostly sounds like, or mostly what you're working on is communi communication skills and human relationships, things that are kind of broadly applicable, whether it's to parenting or to other situations. Oh, it's absolutely true. When I was um, applying for the job, I sat through a Kids First program because I thought, you know, it'll be I need to know as much as I can, especially before the interview. And... Uh, a lot of it is just good parenting. You know, don't badmouth the other parent in front of the child. Don't use the child as a messenger. Um, I was just blown away by how much it was just around basic good parenting. And at the center, we use an expression. We like to think of this as, as our little uh, uh, addition to world peace, one co-parenting partnership at a time. Significant contribution. <laughs> And there's a book that Kids First has created. Yes, it's a great book. We um, asked the children in our divorce support groups if they had advice to give grown-ups. What, what would it be? And the name of the book is What Kids Want Grown-Ups to Know About Divorce and Separation. And it is, it's fantastic, really, because it's a very easy read. It talks about things like holidays, how to handle holidays, how to handle transitions, how to handle the birth of a, a new baby in a new family. Um, it's available through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, through our website, of course. Uh, just click on the We Wrote a Book banner, and, and you can order a book through us. It's a very practical guide, and it, it would be great for grandparents to read, parents, kids themselves, school personnel, anybody that works with these families. A lot of insight in that book. And how do people find out about the Kids First Center? We have a pr very complete website, um, which is kidsfirstcenter.org. We also always answer the telephone. If you get voicemail, it's because we're all on the phone. Um, but there's a real live human being. We don't give uh, we give practical advice. Not um, I shouldn't say we give advice. We can help guide and answer questions in a very general way. Obviously, we're not attorneys and we're not mental health professionals, but we certainly can provide some guidance. We have a good resource and referral guide, so if people are looking for mediators, attorneys, um, we can help help them find those as well. You have a lending library? We do, yes, we do, and it's uh, probably the most complete uh, library around the issues of divorce and separation north of Boston, and we encourage people to come in. It's a lending library, and they get free to take out books and also a lot of us in the in mediation field and legal field and mental health field refer folks to the kids first center I mean, we always have their brochures in our office and we're 
it's, it's a part of my work with every single couple that I work with. And there's a yearly event that takes place to also educate um, attorneys, is that right? All professionals, actually. We, um, part of our mission statement is to educate professionals around issues of divorce and separation. And um, we just had a conference um, called the um, Virtual Venom and uh, about how the social media and the internet can play a part in either ratcheting up the conflict or lessening the conflict. It can be used for good and evil. And you have a Facebook page? We do. Please friend us. We want as many friends as possible. Um, but the website is really quite complete. We have a kids section. Uh, we have a video that was produced by kids. Uh, we have a bibliography, uh, suggested reading, lots of links um, as well. So that's really a great, and you can register for a lot of our programs on our website. Um, Catherine and Dana, how can people find out about you and your practices? Um, most of uh, most referrals, as I indicated before, come from previous clients and from mental health professionals and from other members of the legal community. That's my experience. How about you, Catherine? Um, I think that's how I'm, I'm often found. I think that I do have a website also, um, MillerLawMediation.com, that offers um, information about how to approach divorce with an alternative approach, how to have some limited representations. So if you can't afford a lawyer from start to finish, how you can get some good legal advice to make really good decisions for, your, for you and your children. Um, and we're both, Dana and I are, are both in the Old Port um, Kids First Centers on St. John Street. So we're, we're accessible. I think people need to do research before they head the, down the path of divorce. I appreciate your coming in and speaking with us today about the issues of families in transition. Um, we've been talking to Dana Cleves, Peg Libby, and Catherine Miller, and I appreciate, um, well, all the good work you're doing for the children and the families and the parents in this community. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you have been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 60, Family Transitions, airing for the first time on November 4th, 2012, on WLOB and WPEI Radio, Portland, Maine. This show and all prior shows are available for free download via iTunes. For more information on our guests, go to doctorlisa.org. Be sure to like our Facebook page and also sign up for our Facebook page feed so that our posts will show up on your Facebook messaging system. We hope you've enjoyed this departure from our usual format. Today we were able to bring together attorney Catherine Miller, former judge and mediation specialist Dana Cleves, and Kids First executive director Peg Libby as we offered more of a roundtable discussion on the subject of family transitions. We appreciate your supporting the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast and also supporting our sponsors who make this possible every week. This is Dr. Lisa Belisle. Thank you for being part of my world. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Seabags, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Marcy Booth of Booth Financial Services, UNE, the University of New England, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Apothecary by Design, and The Body Architect. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in downtown Portland at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street. 
It is produced by Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. For more information on our hosts, production team, main magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details.